The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are my own or those of my guests, and in no way represent the views of the company or companies that I or we work for. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they are told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Identity. You're listening to Squawk Identity an aviation podcast dedicated to the journey and the challenges surrounding the life and career of Aviator Tony, his co-hosts, and his guests. Together, we will explore the many pathways to an aviation profession, the realities of what a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, an airline pilot currently flying for a legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. This is episode 47 of Squawk Ident, recorded on the 6th of July, 2020, from the Mobile Aviator Sound Studios, from the fifth floor of the Marriott Hotel, from somewhere in Atlanta, Georgia. Forgive me, podcast listeners, for it has been 14 days since our last podcast. I have since recited 20 before start checklists and 20 before landing checklists, and three non-normal procedures to atone for my sins. I want to start off the show today by saying thank you to Kyle Jansen for sitting down with me for episode 46, All in the Flying Family. It has been so very inspiring to hear the fantastic journeys that he and many of the other young aviators that I have had the privilege to interview over the past year have achieved. What I have learned so far in my own journey with this production of this podcast is that the common theme among these aviators have truly helped excel them ahead of the pack in the aviation industry. And that is that they all dedicated their time to giving back to their communities. My hats off to them and to all of you out there doing your part to make this world a better place. When my family first moved to this country, I was four years old. I didn't speak a lick of English, and my schoolhouse consisted of watching hours of public television shows like Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Romper Room, Sesame Street, Schoolhouse Rock, and The Electric Company, to name about a few. My formative years were filled with learning from programs that focused on finding the good in people, the helpers. To that end, it has shaped my appreciation for all the wonderful helpers out there that commit their careers and their lives to the honor of working in a profession that helps others. To all of you essential workers that continue to provide for us all, thank you for all that you do. Now let's get started with episode 47. Squawk Ident. Cheez-Its are awesome when you're like got a craving for like something. You could just crush these things and not you can go feel through bad an entire it. box. Yep. That's pilot food, my friend. Pilot food. Well, ladies and gentlemen, joining us today is an exceptional aviator and co-host to Squawk Ident. He joins us from his spectacular chateau in San Diego, California. Did I say that right? Is it San Diego or San Diego? Well, he's joining us there from his isolation, a house full of stir-crazy children, and nowhere to escape to except this podcast. 
He's a professional CFI, IIMEI, flight instructor, and a former Embraer 145 airline pilot. Please help me and welcome me back to the show, Captain Roger. Captain, what the heck's going on? Well, you know, unfortunately, it's a lot of the same old, same old. Um, I have worked a little bit. We did our return flight about a week and a half ago. But other than that, it's been a lot of the same as the last you know, four months. Uh, not a whole lot of work and sitting around. Obviously, there's a lot going on in the world and things closing down again. And uh, just a little bit kind of hunkering down again, I guess, if you will. Yes, avoid the surge. Yeah, it has been kind of crazy all this uh you know pandemic news i <laughs> we've been saying this for quite a while i stopped listening to all the breaking news breaking news oh no breaking news it's ridiculous um yeah it really can't be good for really anybody paying too much attention to the news cycle now i think no and i worry about my parents uh you know i talk to them on the phone uh, at least once a week i call to check up on them to facetime call see how they're doing and wouldn't you know it? Uh, one or if not both of them are usually either uh, just getting off the TV or, or sitting in on the sofa watching TV. And, you know, even though they're like, oh, no, I'm not watching news. I'm watching documentaries. I'm like, mm hmm. So what do you think of this new thing that the governor did? Oh, yeah, the governor. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you about that. It's like, oh, so you haven't been watching the news, have you? Right. So, yeah, I worry about them, and I worry about our society as well. <laughs> Absolutely. I hate to say it. Yeah, There's definitely a lot of, I think, just fear and unknown, you know? Yeah. But you uh, you actually were uh, talking to us a little bit about how you were going into Eagle, Colorado. And so since that last show, you had to airline back into Eagle to pick up the airplane and the owner and operator and fly back to Southern California. How did that go? Well, fortunately, I don't have uh, nearly the, the the same exciting story that I had going in. It was pretty uneventful. In fact, just thinking back, I, I can't really remember much of note at all. We did airline in, and we had to go in the day before. Um, it's always easier to go to do everything in one day when, when, when we're trying to get back home, flying west where you're going to gain time. But when we're losing time going east, which obviously being on the west coast, there's only pretty much one destination to go to to gain time. That's out to Hawaii. But every time we go to the east, we pretty much got to fly out the day before. And so we did. We spent one night in Eagle, which was pretty warm. It does it does cool down at night, however. I think it cooled down into the 50s after being around 90 in the day. Nice. Um, it, was, it was very warm, actually. Very nice up there, obviously. And, you know, you got the, uh, you know, the wealthy clientele that's up there. Is, it, it was a good stay. I actually kind of wish we could have stayed there one more day. And we came back the right around noon the next day, and it was an une, uneventful no, nothing of note that uh, that took place. You know, flying out, taking off out of Eagle, you do kind of have to have, or any mountain town for that, for that matter. You obviously got to have some things in the back of your mind, or even the front of your mind on departure with the terrain. But fortunately, we blasted off right out of there, climbed relatively nicely, and and headed back home. And that's where I've been for the past week and week and a half or so. Yeah, nice to, to spend some time at home with the kids and make sure that their education is well taken care of. Yeah, depending on who you ask. It's summer break, Daddy. Uh, okay. No, I've heard Just it too. I've got a 14-year-old. So. 
Nice. Well, also joining us today is one of our other co-hosts here on Squawk Ident, and currently a DFW-based 737 pilot for Legacy Airlines, the name we use here on the show as an alias to our employers, a legacy carrier here in the U.S. From his fortress of isolation, where he has a garage stocked full of toilet paper, hand sanitizer, N95 masks, and all kinds of accoutrement with RC flying machines and whatnot, joining us from his home in Flower Mound, Texas. He is a former international and professional racquetball champion, a member of the 9G Club, an AMP, and an avionics tech, an RC aircraft commander, and a pickleball master as well. Help me in welcoming back to the show, Rob D. Rob? What's up? I've been doing nothing, <laughs> and it's good to be back. <laughs> and yeah, I wish I had some uh, something, to, some stories to bring to the table here, but um, really, uh, some flying stories to bring to the table. But I don't have anything. I last flight I took was uh, June 11th, and um, I've been sitting on reserve ever since then, and uh, haven't been called, haven't been used, so. I've been um, pretty much enjoying the time out on my new boat, polishing my captain captain skills out on the new boat, and uh, getting my kids uh, all trained up on how to you know use the dock lines and tie some good knots and uh, all right pulling them around on the uh, tube. So we've had a good time. All right, really and nice. so you have uh, have you issued a skipper? Uh, promotion to one of your kids or is that still up and coming well yeah they're they're uh they're quickly learning and they're uh, gonna be moving up the ranks here pretty soon uh my oldest daughter who's 15 and she's about to get her driver's permit so i think i might have to uh, promote her to uh, uh i don't know what you call it the helmsman the, the helmswoman where she can take the helm of the boat and uh drive it around um so she, uh at least it's uh, one step closer to uh, learning how to drive, you know, drive a vehicle. It just be a water vehicle, so that'd be a good way to learn. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, they're 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 having fun. They're eager to get out there, and it's fun. It's fun for us because the lake's less than a mile from our house. So yeah, as a matter of fact, nice uh, just a little earlier this afternoon, I flew over your house and I looked down and I <laughs> I noticed that your grass needed a good tending to. What I the know. heck, man? You've been spending well, too much time I've on the lake. I've been out on the lake, so <laughs> <laughs> and it's been raining here a little bit too. So uh, yeah, I do need to take care of the grass. <laughs> yeah, for real. And and it's funny that people think I'm I'm joking, but no, I literally flew over your house. We landed on one seven center today. Yeah, uh, because yep. uh, the the west side of the airport was shut down. They were landing yep. on one three right, but uh, the eighteens were shut down, and so yep. one seven center in DFW, and that's yep. right there on yep. final. Look yep. down. So and... from your seat, yeah, from your seat, right at the final approach fix, you look right, and you know I'm about probably two to three miles away. I'm just almost about a half a mile west of the one eight right center line. So. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty pretty close. Yeah. So uh and it was uh humid today but overcast skies in DFW and we just barely got out of there. I mean, we had that that thunderstorm approaching the field from the north was probably right over your house when we took off and then uh yeah. headed on southbound on the departure until we turned towards the east and headed on, on over to Atlanta 
where I am currently broadcasting from the fifth floor of the wonderful Marriott Hotel here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm on a layover, and not bad trip. Um, it's been kind of crazy this past couple yeah. weeks. Uh, as I mentioned in the uh, beginning of the opener of the show, it's been about 14 days since the last uh, podcast was recorded, and uh, it's been go, go, go for me. Um, and schedules have been kind of tough with my boys here. And, uh, so yeah, I'm really happy that we got a chance to sit down this evening and, uh, and do this. So, yeah, so I'm looking forward to, back, to it, man. Definitely yeah. Good to be back. So since our last show was released, uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about what I've been up to. Um, flew from LA to Charlotte and then on to Chicago on the 27th of June. Uh, it was a go-go day, and when we got to Chicago, we stayed there at the the airport hotel there, and I wanted to work out. I haven't worked out in a long time, and you know I'm used to running on layovers out there, uh, jogging paths somewhere, and that just hasn't been happening for months now. And so the uh, isolation ten or isolation fifteen or who it depends who you talk to, I've been feeling it. So I flew with a captain a couple weeks ago that said, Hey, I'm just going to run the stairs in the building. Uh, you know, go up down 10 floors, you know, and I'll probably do it twice and get my heart rate up. And at least I'll feel better about having that beer later. And I said, That's a great idea. You know, I, I've thought about it many times and I, I thought, well, I'm going to give it a try. So in Chicago, I strapped on a good pair of running shoes and started on the ground floor and ran all the way up to the 10th floor and, took the elevator back down to the first floor and <laughs> I ran back up again and <laughs> noticed that somewhere around the seventh floor, I had to take a breather and I made it to the 10th floor and then took the elevator and wrote it back down to the bottom and ran it up again. <laughs> Ended up going about seven floors and then that, that was done. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> a good workout right there. It was done. 27 floors. Uh, but Hey, uh, followed it up with a little bit of a workout in the hotel room and some pushups and sit-ups and, and all kinds of planks and, and, uh, Hey man, uh, we got to do what we got to do to shed this, uh, this poundage, you know, have you guys, uh, done anything to get that started or are you just enjoying the, uh, the extra weight while you can? Well, you know, it's kind of funny you mentioned that first of all, kudos for you for doing it. You know, the hardest thing with, with doing this kind of doing that kind of stuff is getting the the motivation to start. And I, I know that a lot of people struggle with that, myself included. I was, I play tennis is, is primarily how I, how I stay in shape. I, I do do some running. However, unlike you, I hate running, but I do do it in order to stay somewhat competitive on the tennis court. I, I have found that my body is, is kind of, rebelling a little bit right now just last week i actually wrenched my back a little bit oh, no so i've taken the last week off and i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna start again tomorrow here and hopefully that that goes all right uh, but that's that's mostly what i've been doing and i've been fortunate enough to get out about three days a week now which is more than i than i did before all this started um but it's been nice to get back out there because you know like you said it I definitely feel different. And the first time, the worst part was the first time I went on to the, to the tennis court is actually when I started running again, because I'd never felt like that in my entire life. Having take, what was it, two and a half, two and a half months off. And I basically did absolutely nothing from a physical standpoint. And then stepping foot on that tennis court the first time, 
I was gasping for air and muscles hurt everywhere and I was slow and I, I felt um, <laughs> rather slow, shall we say. So it's been nice to get back into it for me. Yeah. What about you, Rob? Has uh, other than uh, commanding the uh, the new boat? Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, um, like you, I I depended a lot on um, on my overnights to get you know good workouts in, uh, go for runs and some light workouts in the you know, workout rooms that we have in the hotels. Um, so yeah, I, I um, I've had to you know adapt to a different uh, way of working out. Me and my wife started walking a lot a lot together in the morning take our dog for a walk so we do about about a four mile walk around our neighborhood uh, it's kind of we have one of those plant communities so all the you know those big uh walking sidewalk trails kind of thing that kind of wander through the uh, parks and the, and the neighborhood so yeah. uh, it's kind of nice to get out and do that in the mornings because uh it's so dang hot in the afternoons here in texas and humid. So, um, yeah, we get up pretty early. We're, we're out the door usually by six, six fifteen, Um, and, uh, takes us a little over an hour to do the four miles. Um, so I've been doing a lot of that probably getting out about four times a week. And then, um, you know, I've been staying active, uh, definitely with the boat. I mean, even though a lot of it's for rest and relaxation, but, um, you know, we're doing a lot of swimming, a lot of tubing and, uh, there's a lot of physical energy exerted doing that stuff. So, um, yeah, you know, when I'm, <laughs> I'm just kind of like swimming around with, you know, trying to get back to the tube after I fall off, you know, my, my Apple watch is saying, Hey, are you having a heart attack? You know, you probably need to rest. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, uh, I've been closing all the rings on my, <laughs> my Apple watch thing, uh, easily every day. So, yeah. um, uh, staying active that way. Um, yeah, it it's different though. You know, it it uh you know, mentally I used to look forward to uh, those overnights and those runs, kind of a mental cleanse and stuff like that and you know, so now I kind of have to do it a, uh you know, totally different way. And um so that's pretty much what we've been doing um staying active that way. Uh and I I really enjoy it cuz I I got to tell you like you Roger, I hate the run. I I, I I have to motivate myself, and actually, once I get going, I'm kind of okay, right? For about maybe ten or fifteen minutes, and then I get bored really quick. You know what I mean? So I'm like, I'm done. You know? So some people get the runners high, and I think that's what probably Tony gets when he's running because I know he he runs. I I've heard about that. I've never experienced it myself. You're kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like an oxymoron, right? They call them what fun runs. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Why? Foreign concept, Jimmy. Foreign concept. Yeah. Jumbo shrimp. Really? Come on now. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I don't get a runner's high either. So, <laughs> so I mean, I, I, when I was at my best, probably about five years ago, maybe a little bit more, um, I was doing a good three to five miles a couple times a week, and I, I was feeling pretty good then. Yeah. Um, but. I don't know. I think mentally I, I'm, I'm done with that. And, uh, just, I need to do something different. And I actually, the walking's pretty fun. Cause I'm out, I'm feel like I'm burning just the same amount of calories and I'm out there a little bit longer. So I well, don't not know. to mention that you're having this quality time with your wife too. That you wife. Get to, oh yeah. Yeah. Sure. Know, have these quality. great conversations uh, <laughs> while you're, you know, talking about 
Oh yeah. The economy and politics oh. and religion and you know all the well, good, you, wonderful things that you, you talk about with honestly, your Honestly, truthfully, what we talk about is a lot about the kids and, and their oh, volleyball yeah. schedules. I mean, it's so crazy. I mean, that's why I um I don't most people don't know, but uh, tonight we're we're recording this pretty late at night and probably mostly because of me cuz uh I had my kids had volleyball and um I didn't walk in the door till 9:30 at night and that was an early night. Normally it's 10 10 30 at night when i'm walking yeah. in the door and i'm doing that three to four nights a week when i'm here so well the fact that you're really there to do me. it is an amazing thing and i know that yeah. you know your daughters i mean every all these wonderful photos that you you share on <laughs> on social media with them and and they yeah. just look so happy that dad's yeah. home i mean that this pilot thing it could be yeah. pretty tough especially at the beginning of a career where you're gone a lot you're on reserve oh, you're at yeah. a crash pad you're missing birthdays and 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 the fact that you're at the point in your career where you can be home and even yeah. though this pandemic is an awful thing you know there's some good in it and the good that it you sure found is. is that you're spending a lot of extra time at home having yeah. these wonderful walks with your wife having these wonderful opportunities to to join your your children in their extracurricular and their volleyball and yep. and you could see it you could see the happiness and and you know what a wonderful yep. job my hat's off yep. to you my friend thanks man yeah it's well said it, that's exactly right i i think uh it's a perfect time to take advantage of the situation and spend more quality time with family and that's what we've been doing um we even postponed we actually we were actually going to take a trip to uh to Rhode Island to go see my family, which is a tradition we do over the 4th of July holiday. And, um, we decided not to go just because, um, well, things are, uh, you know, the numbers are starting to spike here in in Texas and they also implemented another quarantine, mandatory quarantine when you go up to the, uh, you know, some of those Northeast States. So, um, we just said, Hey, you know, might as well just stay here. Cause if anything happens and the girls have to, you know, get removed from volleyball because of quarantine and right. they're going to miss tryouts and we got a boat, stay here and just use it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I got a boat. I got a That's boat. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so yeah, when Rob, uh, when Rob called me and said, Hey man, I, I got the boat. I sent him a link to a YouTube video. It's just very famously, uh, celebrating the fact that these two young men are on a boat from Saturday Night Live skit. If you haven't uh, looked it up and you don't know what I'm talking about, I just, it's not for the kiddos. Just go ahead and YouTube, uh, <laughs> I'm on a boat, <laughs> and you'll figure it out. But yeah, so so working out is a great way to um, try to you know burn some of this uh, non-movement weight gain that we're all experiencing. Um, but you know, my 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 week was very busy. I was able to get this workout in. Uh, the next day, uh, which was the twenty eighth, we did a Chicago to Charlotte and then uh, back to L.A. Uh, the very next day, I got to sleep in my own bed for a night. I got to empty out all of the the suitcase and and fill it up with some clean clothes and did some laundry and and got all that taken care of. Got to have a late dinner with the family and uh, spent some time there. And then the very next day, had breakfast with the family and fill up the suitcase with some fresh clothes and back to the airport I went. Uh, started another trip back to back. Uh, and this sometimes happens. You know, you get a two-day trip and then you got to fly a three-day trip 
attached to the back end of it. Now, if you live in base, this is great because you get to go home, you get to spend some time with a family, get to sleep in your own bed. But if you're not living in base and it's not something that you can commute easily back and forth within a span of maybe 18 or 19 hours, you're stuck at a crash pad. And that's tough because now you're not working, you're not uh, getting paid, but you're at a crash pad. So you're with a, usually a bunch of other dudes or, or uh, if you're with, you know, in a co-ed crash pad, that's possible too. And then you got a little bit, sometimes there's a drama there and, and you just, you just want quiet and sometimes that's just not going to happen. Or you can go to a hotel, but then those can get relatively expensive, especially because most bases are in major metropolitan areas. And so the hotels are going to be a little bit more pricey. Uh, New York being uh, one of those uh, cities, uh, LA is another one, uh, you know, Philadelphia is another one. So, you know, you're going to spend 130 or, or even $200 on a hotel to spend a day. And then if you have to check out by noon or 11 a.m. and you don't have to be at work till 8 p.m. that night, now you're, you know, what are you going to do with your time? Uh, you can ask for late checkouts and whatnot, but that can always be a little tedious. So these uh, back-to-back trips are not very popular. For the most part. So that was what I was stuck doing. So on the 29th of June, I ended up doing LA to Phoenix and then Phoenix to Boston. And uh, we got in pretty late into Boston and it was raining. But the next day, again, in an effort to try to shed some of this weight, I ended up going on a three mile run. Now it was sprinkling and uh, but I didn't care. I had a, a windbreaker and, and I had my running shoes and I was good to go. Uh, put some earbuds in, listen to a podcast that I enjoy while I was running and got three miles in in Boston. On the way back from my run, I uh, ended up at Kelly's Roast Beef. Now, I've talked about Kelly's before, uh, the one in location in Boston, and it's a wonderful place to get either roast beef or a lobster roll, you know, or the clam chowder. It was, it was delicious. Now, do they have quahogs? Uh, you know, I don't know. I got to look on the menu. But it was good. It was really good. And uh, I missed that place. Uh, Their dining room was open. Uh, Every other booth was blocked off. Uh, You had to wear a mask to come in. Uh, when When you ordered, you have to have a mask on. When you sat down at your table, you could take the mask off and you can eat and whatnot. But if you get up from your table for any reason, you had to put the mask back on. And uh, the manager was walking around the establishment. And he was very serious about his job. And anybody that wasn't following suit immediately was like, sir, you, you know, you have to have the mask on. The city's going to come and shut us down and, you know, got to have the mask on. So, so that was interesting. And I took my order to go and ended up back to the hotel room and, and, uh, and scarfed on my lobster. Uh, and it was delicious. What can I tell you? Uh, that. Later that afternoon, we did Boston to Charlotte, Charlotte to Denver. Now, it's a pretty long day. Um, ended up in Denver late at night, a relatively short overnight. Um, what I remembered about that day was I had about a two and a half hour sit in Charlotte. Now, you know, both my co-hosts here, you know, Rob and Roger, they know about two, three hour long sits. You got to take that opportunity and eat because whenever you have a sit like that, you got to you got to intake some food because your odds are you're not getting it on the airplane. And even if you are, you probably don't want to eat that food. So uh, I ended up saying, well, I've got about two hours between flights. I could probably get some food, but let me see what, what's open. So I walked pretty much most of the terminal 
most establishments were open. However, they were only at the food court. All the other places that were throughout the terminal were all shut down. And it's busy, folks. If you go to an airport and you've got a, an hour or two layover and you think, oh, well, that's where we're going to eat, you're going to be in line for an hour. And, and it's, it's sick. You, you walk around, you're like, okay, Chick-fil-A, uh, the line wrapped around half even the when, terminal. Even when we're having our normal schedule, uh, pre-COVID-19 stuff, the, all of the, those restaurants in, in the... Uh, in the food court would have lines that would make you wait, you know, 15 to 20 minutes before you even got to the counter. Yeah. yeah. Well, now so that's the only, your only option. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. It's and, crazy. And, and you stop and think, well, why don't they just open up the, the Mexican place down there? They, you know, they're usually open for business and yeah. there's a, there's 15 Starbucks in the airport. How come there's only two of them that are open? The rest of them are all yeah. closed. They were taking your order with a clipboard while you were number 30 in line at Starbucks. Like, what are you going to order? I'll write it down. When you get there, it'll be ready for you. So you get up there because they only allowed two people in their little Starbucks uh, store uh, at a time. So you had time just to pay and hopefully your drink was ready. Um, so, of course, line after line after line. And, and it got me thinking. You know, when I first started in this uh, aviation career, I had a captain pull me aside and said, hey, you need to eat because you got about 30 minutes to, to grab a bite to eat. I'm like, ah, I should be okay. You know, I'm kind of hungry, but I'll just, I'll keep going. He's like, no, 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 you don't eat. There's a problem. This is a safety to flight issue. Okay. He goes, if a passenger wants their snack pack and they don't get it on a flight, well, that's inconvenient. And I, and I, I'm sorry for that, but they're not a command of an aircraft. You're at a command of an aircraft. Your blood sugar is an issue. You're not thinking straight. You need to eat. So if the company's not able to provide you with you know, a decent meal, then you need to take that opportunity. And if that means we delay the outgoing flight because you need to take a crew meal, then so be it. Because if you don't eat and now we have an emergency and you're not thinking straight, you're not at your you know, peak potential to handle the situation because you've got other you know, biological needs like eating and, and blood Nourishment, sugar. Yeah. yeah. So it's a safety to flight. If I don't eat, it's an issue. If a passenger doesn't get their their bag of peanuts, okay, that sucks, but that's a service. Um, so if you're out there getting started in your career and you're on a long day and it's been nonstop, go, 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 and you know, a smart pilot will always have cereal bars or cliff bars or power bars or something that they can nibble on in a, in a pinch. Uh, but if that's not available... When in doubt, take a meal break. Call crew scheduling. At least at the companies I've always worked for, that's the way it was. You know, Rob, yep. have you ever had a, a time where you had to delay a flight because you didn't oh, get yeah. a chance to eat? Well, yeah. When we uh, when we started flying a one seventy five, um, uh, we would fly Dallas to Calgary, and um, they wouldn't. There'd be no, and it'd be a turn, and there'd be no meals on the fl- on the plane for us. So, um, you know, it's three and a half hours up one way, almost three and a half hours on the way back. So, uh, about a 45 minute turn. So you, if you didn't have any food with you, um, you were, you were gonna have to get something in Calgary. So, um, we, at, at the first time we did it, it was totally, you know, caught us off guard. So we were like, man, I should have grabbed something in Calgary. 
<laughs> to eat. And uh, so the second time we did the trip, I, was, I, you know, told ops and, you know, called dispatch and said, yeah, we're, we're going to be an extra half hour here so that we can clear customs and go get some food. <laughs> <laughs> so, cause I mean, yeah, there's no way we can operate that long of a, of a day without having any kind of food. So, and you know, honestly, you're not supposed to even bring food in through, uh, some right. of the, uh, customs anyway. So, right. um, yeah. So yeah, I've done that a couple times, not just on, on that Calgary term, but just on some, you know, a normal day where you're, um, you know, you run maybe five or 10 minutes late, your turns are so tight to begin with, um, that you just need to uh, take an extra couple minutes to go get something to eat. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Take and Roger, have you had that experience when you were flying for the old express jet? Yeah, I think everybody's had that experience when you're flying, especially at the regionals where, you know, like Rob was just saying, it's it's standard practice for them to fly you out on two, three, and sometimes even at the upper end of four hour leg and schedule you a 30 minute turn and just fly right back. I think the important thing, there's a couple things that, that I would just say, one of the things that you already mentioned is I think it's really important and, and a best practice for, for all of us from a pilot standpoint to have that that power bar, cliff bar, whatever it is in whatever it is that you're carrying around, whether that's a backpack or, you know, if people are still carrying around flight kits, but whatever is accessible to you on the flight deck, I think is going to be the best, the best way to go about doing that. You know, for me, everybody, everybody's a little bit different. I think the most important thing is to, to just know your own body. As you were mentioning, the blood sugar is, is a big thing. I've been fortunate enough that that's not, that's not something that I've so much struggled with and I'll be the first to admit that my, my eating habits, whether that's on the line or, or even, even right now are not necessarily the best, but if you are one of those people where your blood sugar is going to affect mental capacity and that's a real thing and that's not a knock against anybody, that's a real, you know, biological, a real biological thing. But if that is something that does affect you, that's going to be something that you're obviously going to want to make sure that you're paying closer attention to, because as you mentioned correctly before, that definitely can become a safety of flight thing. You know, I, I have a little bit of a, of a different aspect, you know, or a outlook on it. You know, we've talked about my, my cargo career from before and, you know, your first flight of the day is when you're flying at five o'clock in the morning, you're getting home at eight, you're, you go to bed, you wake up and you know, I I've done two years of, of that cumulatively and I never ate before I flew in the morning. And, you know, obviously my, my incident that we've talked about before with the bird strike, I can, you know, there, you can function without it, but again, it's, it's knowing your own body and how you are going to respond to that kind of thing because everybody's going to be different and just know yourself and, and make sure that uh, you take care of, you take care of what you need to take care of with, if that's calling crew scheduling, call crew scheduling. That is, you know, that is more than a reasonable request, but also take it upon yourself to kind of be prepared and take personal responsibility with carrying around something in, in your bag, I think is, is also just as important. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a good overview of like your schedule will help you meal prep or plan your meals in advance. I mean, I, I'm sure all you guys look at your schedule uh, in advance when you have them and you can kind of say, all right, I can pick up something here or I probably need to bring something there. And just kind of at least get a 
a game plan together. That's usually the best thing to have is just a little game plan going forward so that, um, you know, you, you kind of know what you're going to do when you get out there. And then if something goes crazy, then you can, you know, adapt and adjust your schedule to your eating schedule to that. This yeah. is one of those things that really can dovetail I'll probably into an entire episode about yeah. pilots and nutrition as a whole. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. Know, I have, you know, I have a degree in nutrition, just of all things Not that, that really has anything to, to do with anything on this particular podcast. But at the same time, that's a whole thing that, that really should probably be discussed more Absolutely. with pilots because that's, that's Absolutely. something that is not ever mentioned in ground school or training. And yet, you know, we have too many pilots that fall oh, into yeah. a, and, and it's not totally our fault. Um, you know, personal responsibility always, always has to take place, but at sure. the same time, our schedules and the time changes and everything and the availability of food that's out there, we eat, quite oh, frankly, yeah. we eat a lot of crap yeah. and our bodies yeah. are going to, are, they're going to pay for that at some point, yeah. you know, maybe not today, but you know, in 10, 20 or 30 years down the road, it, it will come back around to bite you just from an overall nutritional standpoint also. Like, you know, like Rob was just saying, planning, yeah. your, planning yourself out will, will pay dividends, not necessarily in just one hour, but over the course of an entire career, you know, kind of paying attention to that, I think is, is a big, yeah. is a big deal just yeah. from my, from my nutritional background. Yeah. I was going to say, I, re I remember uh, a couple times, you know, I'd get a little lazy there with, with uh, the meal planning when I was at Sandpiper and uh, man, <laughs> there was like three things at that point you couldn't pass up. One of it was a bathroom, a nap or a meal. That's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Though, and not necessarily knows that order, but um, you know, when it came to a meal at, at that time, you know, your schedules are so crazy. And like, like I said, I didn't plan properly. I would just gorge at anything in front of me. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, you'd walk down the terminal and the first thing you see is McDonald's. You're like, I don't care. I'm getting a Big Mac, big fries, big yeah. Coke, and an apple pie to go, you know? Yeah. And that's <laughs> it the might first be your only point. meal for the next exactly. eight hours. You never exactly. know. Right. Exactly. You waited too long to eat. Now you're just you're you're ravishing this food. And 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 I could tell you that there's uh, significant others all over the land that have pilots for <laughs> their partners and like slow oh, down put your fork down take a breath jesus not yeah. a race come on i'm actually <laughs> since i haven't been working in a little while i'm actually kind of curious to see how my uniform is gonna fit me <laughs> yeah i gotta go to work on thursday i, I hope so you have the elastic waistband that's usually, waistband. My, that's usually <laughs> my my you know gauge on if i need to pick up the pace on those walks or yeah. and put down the fork <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually uh, uh, was home for about four days this week. That's all I had since the last show. Um, so in the past 14 days, I was home for four of them. Uh, and on one day, I was told, hey, hook up the, hook up the trailer. We're going to go pick some stuff up. I was like, oh boy, and, uh, what are we getting? So Julie found a Japanese-style pinball that goes on the wall. Uh, Plinko, I think they're called, uh, and she oh, found yeah, one. Yeah. They have that, that on the prices, right? Yeah, basically the same thing with the little uh, marbles, and it was original. I mean, it wasn't in perfect shape. It, it it needs to be restored, which is 
yet another project. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> but we were able to say adding to the project. I am, I, it's get the, the list is getting longer than the accomplishments. <laughs> so, but we now are proud owners. Well, I was uh, picking this item up. Uh, we went for a drive to go pick this up and, uh, and we got a killer deal on it and it had all the original uh, steel balls that go with it and it's working. And so I'm like, great. All I got to kind of do is clean it up and, and kind of get some of the tarnish off of it. But it's also has a Japan, a Japan airline airplane in the middle. That's the whole thing that it revolves around. So a JAL logo. So really cool piece of memorabilia and history to have. And, uh, and the guy goes, well, I'm also selling this scooter over here. If you know anybody, uh, you know, it's like, I'm asking a hundred, but uh, anybody gives me 25 bucks, it's theirs. And I look at it. It's one of those tricycle scooters where you have to like kick your foot out on each side to go. Not a, uh, I if I, if I, about. I'll take a picture of it and I'll send it to you guys. It's uh, and I'll post it on the, uh, on the website as well. It's uh, not an elliptical motion. But it's more like a skating motion where you lean left and you push out with your right foot. Oh, I know what you're talking about. And then you lean now. right yeah. and you push out with your left foot. And so it's the non-motorized. Scooter, it's something you actually you're, you propel it. It's like a razor scooter. But it's got yeah. three big wheels instead of two small ones. Cool. And he's I'm 25 bucks? I'm like, yeah. Here. That, that looks like fun. So on 4th of July, my daughter had her Razor scooter, and I had this thing, <laughs> this tricycle scooter. And we're going all around the park, and that thing is fast, man. And <laughs> we had a blast. I probably burned a few calories with that one. It's <laughs> fun, man. That's sweet. But you know, we have to do these uh, things to try to stay fit as much as we can, especially with this lifestyle. It's a very sedentary lifestyle. We've been talking about this from episode one of Squawk Ident. Uh, where I mentioned how I got into running and, and why. And, and you know, here I am looking to my left at this captain who would say, hold on, let me scoop my seat back so you can do a control check. And I'm like, oh, my God, is this me? Is this me in 10 years? In an years? Airbus? <laughs> this was in a little Embraer at the time, you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> and it's like, hold on, I got to move my seat back. Like, oh, geez, you know. Oh, so, man, I was going to say, <laughs> where is he sitting? <laughs> you know, I was like, how many, how many donuts a That would be something to see. Yeah. <laughs> and it was common. It was kind of common. Wow. Now it's not so common. Everyone's, you know, health conscious and it's great. Uh, but yeah, you know, so we have to be health conscious and we have to keep it, keep it going. But so here I am, I'm flying all these days. And on this last day, uh, was the 30th of June and I flew Boston, Charlotte, uh, Charlotte, Denver. That was the 30th. And the first, uh, I ended up doing Denver back to Charlotte and then back to LA. That was a long day. That was eight hours and 21 minutes of flight time. And the duty limit or the flight time limit for that day was nine hours. So a little bit of a delay and we would have been stuck somewhere. But uh, yeah. uh, You always have a headwind going home, don't you? (laughs) It seems that way. (laughs) It sure does. It sure does. You know, and then I had my four days off, which included the fourth. And like I mentioned, we had a good time, spent some time uh, with some legal pyrotechnics. Uh, and, uh, I did not post any videos of the fireworks because how many <laughs> people do that? Like I've seen them before. Um, and then I have my crew trip, which I'm on right now. Uh, did an LA to DFW today, flew over to Rob's house and, uh, and then DFW to Atlanta where I currently, I am broadcasting from the fifth floor 
of this wonderful Marriott Hotel. Um, with this pretty cool uh, backdrop for those watching the video on YouTube. Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. Yeah, like, the room is pretty... Like a tree ring. It's pretty chill, man. The buildings, it's I got a, a sofa over there, or not a sofa, it's a chaise lounge. So, you know, if you're going to swoon, it's it's perfect. It's right there. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, the, the fellas and I were able to get our schedules in sync, and here we are. Um, but I got nabbed for recurrent training next month. Bummer. You know, and, and I know Rogers has some recurrent training that's due pretty soon as well in his Part 91 operation. Can you tell us a little bit about what is involved in a Part 91 recurrent training cycle? Uh, Part 91 training cycle is very much kind of like a 121 training cycle uh, from a simulator standpoint. We pretty much do the same simulator stuff that you guys do just without most, as much of the ground. You'll generally spend, they're usually three or four days, and you'll spend the first day doing ground, doing ground school, and that's just going to um, be systems. We obviously don't have any of the, the ops manual information that you guys usually cover, or the 121 world will, will generally cover to some degree. You know, whether that's a focus, there's a focus point for the year or not, we don't do any of that. We just do aircraft systems and then a day or two of simulators. And there's a little bit of variability. 135 isn't much different. Usually those are one extra day um, with, with, again, just a, a couple simulator sessions and a day of ground school. And that's typically a, about it. And then a non, at that point in the 91 world, really it's a non-Jeopardy check ride. You just got to get your Part 61 sign off for the year and head back home. Wow, that seems and so. It's you said one day of ground. It's systems. usually one day. It, it, there's some variability in the aircraft types. One or two days of ground, but oftentimes it's one day of ground and then two days of simulator. Yeah, it's pretty close to. I think we have two days of ground school, and like you said, one of those days is going over how to use a fire extinguisher and how to open the door of your airplane because pilots don't usually open doors of airplanes. So. We have to go through that, and there's a mock-up of that. And then where are all the emergency equipment uh, you know, placed, and how do you use them? Uh, then we have uh, part of the day's systems, uh, reviewing systems, reviewing emergency procedures, reviewing um, how to use particular items in the cockpit uh, that we, we touch every day when we're doing our pre-flight scan. You know, we touch the escape rope, we touch the DV window or the, the exit window, emergency exit window, but do we actually physically open it? Do we actually pull that escape rope down and throw it out of the airplane as if we were going to evacuate? Of course not. You don't manipulate that stuff. So that's really what most of that one day is. And then we also talk about, like you said, the Part 121 regulations or the company operations and procedures as a review. Uh, we also, for those that are internationally qualified, uh, spend usually a day on, or half a day at least, on international qualifications, uh, reviewing drift down procedures, mountainous terrain procedures, uh, all that kind of stuff, ETOPS procedures, uh, which is our extended overwater operations. And um, so 
we review all these things, a couple days of ground school, and then we have a couple days of simulator training. Now, over at Legacy, we're fortunate enough to be on what's called a AQP, which is Advanced Qualified Program. And what that means is we kind of know what's coming. We do a lot of the uh, prep work for the ground school at home on a computer-based training uh, platform, uh, usually a laptop or a tablet. And then when we show up, it's relatively easy. We know exactly what's going to be on the simulator event. The first day is usually maneuvers validation where we do some maneuvers, V1 cuts. That's where an aircraft will have an engine failure at the most critical point on takeoff, which is on the V1 speed, which is the, the speed at which it's calculated that if you had a failure at that very point, then at V1, you're not going to reject the takeoff and try to keep it on the runway. You're going to handle the situation airborne because you probably don't have enough runway to stop. So that's the most critical time to lose an engine. And that's what we kind of study, those procedures in the simulator. And hopefully, uh, and most pilots will never see that in real life. Uh, but that's what we do in recurrent training. That's just a very, very, very small uh, sliver of what we do. Rob, can you think of anything else that... Uh, Legacy is currently focusing on and recurrent for at least the first day of simulator. Yeah, I think you touched on everything. Um, systems, yep, emergency equipment. Approaches um, and things like yeah, that. Yeah, approaches, procedures, just call outs and stuff like that. Just um, getting you back to the basics and, and uh, making sure you're dotting your I's, crossing your T's, using the manual, get yourself back into the manuals again and, and uh, procedures and making sure you're, uh, yeah, you're doing everything that's required for, uh, whatever, like, you know, if, um, you know, if you need to use a land app, making sure you have the, the right malfunction increment added to the distance of the runway. If there is one required for like an engine break or a flap failure, stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. You, make, you know, doing all the stuff that we know how to do, but we haven't done in a while. Yeah. And get yourself polished up and uh Yeah. The items that we don't do every day but we're required to know very well in the event that exactly. something happens, you don't have time to go, Oh, well let me look that up. No, yeah, you and have it's to... also a good time. I think they also talk a little bit about some of the hot topics going on with that particular fleet at the time. So you kinda get to hear um, you know, from from the training department what um you know, what they've been seeing as the trend lately for mm -hmm. training stuff that probably needs to be, you know, focus or put a, put a, a focus on or emphasize um, emphasis on just to correct some negative training or stuff that's going wrong. Like 737 for a while, we were having some long landings. And um, so when we were coming in for recurrent, they'd, they'd show us the... Uh, stats and all that and you know they show the airbus guys the 787s and you know the whole fleet and then they you see the 737s and you're like why what are the they landing hell? way down there you know? <laughs> i landed on the aiming point markers <laughs> on the other side of the <laughs> runway <laughs> yep. so let's stuff like that so it's good to get in there and you know figure out what you, you need to work on as a pilot on on the line and you know, bring things back into the tolerance so that you're uh, you're ready for uh, the flight line. Yeah, 
And usually on the second day of simulator event, I mean, these simulator events are relatively long. What are they like? Yeah, uh, four hours. Four hours. Yeah, that's what they're blocked at, I think, yeah. Yeah, So and, and that's a long time to be in a simulator yeah. where your senses are just being bombarded because if you think oh, about absolutely. it, you're in, a, you're in a 10 by 10 room or 15 by 15 room that's 20 feet in the air on hydraulics, and, and don't quote me on the numbers, but just roughly, and you're, you've got high-definition screens in front of you that mimic almost like real life that you're looking outside of the cockpit, what you see yeah. throughout a normal operation. And now, because the hydraulics are, are moving a certain way, I mean, everyone's kind of been on Star Tours or one of these Disney rides where it's tricking you to think that you're actually in outer space and going through you know, a spaceship uh, fight with other you know, uh, spacecraft. And it, you're like, wow, this is like I was really there. And it's the same thing in the simulator. You have multi-million dollar simulators uh, really mimicking every possible scenario you can think of. And, and that's what the training is all about. Um, so I have mine coming up. And we're going to be talking a little bit more in detail about my training experiences. We're going to get to share them as much as we can, at least, uh, with the podcast while protecting you know, our, our jobs and our careers and uh, can't give out all the dirty little secrets, but uh, whatever we can talk about, we're going to focus on here in the near future. My training event is not until uh, the end of August, so hopefully uh, everything will go well. Um, I'm going to start studying now that I know it's coming up. Um, at the same time, our quarterly distance learning was just released. So uh, that's also something that we do four times a year uh, over here at Legacy Airlines where they issue each pilot uh, on their EFB or their electronic flight bag or their tablet uh, some training to do. And it usually takes about four or five hours to kind of go through each module. You can't fast forward. You have to listen to the computer voice uh, talk about your aircraft and whatever systems or whatever is in that quarterly distance learning. Um, and you're supposed to get it done on your own time. Uh, and that's what most people do on a layover. I mean, what else are you going to do? So uh, that's what I'll be working on that. And I want to get that kind of done and out of the way. That way, when I go to recurrent, I can focus on that. And it's a good refresher as well to kind of yeah. dust off the cobwebs, as you said. Yep. I enjoy the uh, recurrent. I mean, I don't enjoy, I shouldn't say I enjoy it. I don't mind doing the recurrent uh, distant learning stuff because it's, kind of gets you refreshed on some of the policies, procedures, and systems and stuff just to kind of tickle the brain a little bit, get it ready for, you know, recurrent and training and stuff like that. Keep your mind fresh. It's nice to be in that frame of mind, you know, in our jobs because you never know when you're going to need it, you know. Yeah. And I will say this about the simulator sessions and while it's pretty standard for them to be four hours, it's two hours for each pilot and then you switch. Those four hours, at least for me, there are some of the fastest four hours that you'll ever experience because you're, Amen. you're, it's nonstop busy yeah. and two yeah. hours have, will have gone by and you will feel like it was 20 or 30 minutes. It's, it's kind of yeah. unbelievable, at least for me personal, personally, uh, me too. those things, they make me sick um, <laughs> with, with that weird hydraulic motion plus the, plus the visuals. Especially but when wait. they like reposition the sim and you're like, yeah. oh. Close, close your eyes, heads down, close your eyes, repositioning the sim. <laughs> but those four hours, you can you can show up, depending on when you show up, you can show up in the afternoon and come out when it's pitch black and feel like, you know, you've been completely worked over in half an hour. It's the most bizarre feeling. Just the whole simulator experience is just a weird thing. 
And what most people don't nice. realize, especially significant others at home, so if you're a significant other to a pilot, please pay attention. You go for a sim event, and you're there, you're in the, you're in the box for four or five hours, whatever it is, with your break in the, in the middle, and you're exhausted. You're mentally drained because you've been going over digging deep into the recesses of your mind to remember the call outs the procedures the flows the triggers all these things and you're supposed to just be able to knock it out one after another boom 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 and so you're going through all these procedures which we will detail a little bit later uh in the month but so you're going through all these procedures and now you're done you've passed congratulations you're good for another nine months or 12 months or whatever it is and and now you you almost like have a ram dump it's like the computer has been reset and don't ask me what I did in there because I've purged all that information and you go to the airport and you get on a flight and if you're deadheading somewhere and you're not having to just drive from the schoolhouse, you're going to pass out on that airplane. You're going to pass out. Oh, yeah. You're going to wake up when the wheels touch down and <laughs> when you get yeah. home, you got to explain to your family, okay, I had a simulator event earlier today. <laughs> don't, don't. Don't talk to me. <laughs> Don't, Mentally uh, fatigued. I'm going to eat. I'm going to go sit in my room and stare at the corner. <laughs> that's yeah, that's true. That's what you do, man. You get like that 50-yard stare. You're just like staring into nothing. I mean, literally. Because just... you are completely spent and worked over. That's it. That's it. You are right. And after uh, almost two decades of doing this, uh, you know, my partner knows when when I come home, she does not. <laughs> bombard me with anything she's like, yeah no power tools no power I, no tools. oh yeah that's true no power tools yeah she tells me no no projects no get out of the shed no power tools nothing because that's when you're going to cut a finger off that's <laughs> yeah, true <laughs> so you know we were talking earlier about you know long lines at the food courts and in a segment we like to call wtf, WTF. I want to talk just a little bit about long-ass lines at airport food courts. Why? Why don't they just open everything up so people aren't waiting in line? Well, it all comes down to dollars and cents. So if you think about it, uh, every day we kind of take a look at these as airline employees. We take a look at the TSA throughput numbers, which are published on the TSA.gov website. Um, And as of right now, the average this past week has been at 32% of what the numbers were in 2019. So 32% of the people that were traveling in in 2019 are traveling the same week in 2020. That's very, very small. We were at 2,800,000 and change in 2019 going through TSA checkpoints on, on this day back then. And I think today's numbers were somewhere around 800,000. So they're about 30, about 30%. Um, what does that mean? Well, that means that all the airports and all the ancillary departments and restaurants and shops and stores, if they were all open, they would only be making 32% of what they were making last year. So they have to cut their margins, no different than the airlines have had to cut flights. So instead of 15 flights a day from point A to point B, now there's only four, and they're all full which is good because with a full flight, you're making money because everything considered equal, if the flight goes out empty, how many thousands, if not 
tens of thousands of dollars that that flight cost to operate all the people that were involved fueling it maintenance you know you're paying for the gate you're paying for the slot um so these restaurants in these airports are doing the same thing why are they not open they're cutting payroll they're cutting expenses but it gets to the point where it's extremely inconvenient when you're at a, an airport, you're in a confined area. You can't just go, well, I'm going to walk outside of the airport and go to Mickey D's down the street. There's no line there. You can't do that. You're, you're inside a secured area. You're a captive audience. And yet you've got to wait 20, 30, 40 minutes just to get something to eat before you hop on a flight because you know they're not going to serve you any food. So the sales theoretically have gone up a little bit because people know that they're not going to get a snack. There's no buy on board right now. And, and I, that's totally understandable. This morning, I ended up going to LAX relatively early because I didn't know how bad LA traffic was going to be. And luckily, it wasn't too bad. And I had some extra time. Well, I woke up early, like Roger was mentioning. He got up really early for those early flights. And he just wouldn't eat until he got home. And he crashed. And that's fine. Well, I kind of did the same thing this morning because I wasn't used to getting up so early. And I got up, I had some coffee, drove to the airport, and the only thing that really was an acceptable option for me was Dunkin' Donuts because the Homeboy Cafe was closed and all the other little places that I normally could stop and get a cup of coffee as an alternate to the Dunkin' Donuts line, <laughs> they're all closed. So I ended up at Dunkin' Donuts and I waited in line for 42 minutes. Now, social distancing, six feet apart, yeah, that's not really happening. Now, granted, everyone's wearing a mask because by city ordinance, you have to wear a mask at all times while you're at the airport. Um, and we also here at the airline uh, have to wear a mask while on duty at all times, unless we're in the cockpit uh, to perform our duties. So I waited and I had a 42-minute cup of coffee and a breakfast sandwich this morning. <laughs> and, wow. You know? But I had to do it because if I didn't do it, I knew that two hours into the flight, I was going to be hungry. And, you know, if I'm here trying to land and there's a little bit of weather, which there was, uh, you know, I needed to be on my top game. So long lines, no social distancing, limited food options. Uh, I can't wait for this whole thing to be over, man. <laughs> Either, man. I can't wait. In further WTF news, I stumbled across a story that when I first saw it, I had to read it a few times. I was absolutely flabbergasted. A United States Senator, Jeff Merkley of Oregon, flew on one of our sister companies out there, the American Airlines, and he was disgusted with what he saw. So much to the point where he tweeted a photo of himself on a packed aircraft. Now, you know, I heard that American and United were going to do this 100% capacity starting July 1st. And I have mixed opinions about that. Uh, gentlemen, uh, fellow aviators, what do you think? Is it too soon to go 100% capacity? What are your thoughts? I think that, like you, that I have some mixed feelings about it. However, in the end, I do believe that the difference between selling a, an 80 or 85% capacity flight and a hundred percent capacity flight, the, the risk 
the risk factor difference is going to be negligible. That's just a guess. I have no numbers to back that up. But in the end, everyone's kind of made a big, the big consideration is whether or not we're going to be selling those middle seats. And that middle seat is nowhere remotely close to six feet wide. And so whether you've got somebody sitting in the middle seat next to you and a person just in the aisle and a person in the window, that, that distance between the aisle and the window seat is not anywhere close to six feet. And the distance from the aisle to the aisle on the other side of the airplane is nowhere close to six feet. And whether you're going to put somebody in the middle seat or not is not going to change that metric at all. 85% versus 100% is a is a difference of what maybe maybe 15 people depending obviously heavily depending on the size of the airplane and everyone's going to be stuck together no matter what you know you're just talking about about restaurants in the airport and in in, in a way you know i was thinking about as you were talking in the in a way it's it's about the same argument you've got the airlines who have to be able to to make money and so they need to put as many people on the airplanes that they're flying in order to to keep to keep people employed and it's the same thing with the people in the restaurants is like, look, I, I, I need to be able to pull a profit. I can't operate at a 30% at 30% of what I was doing last year. And if you're going to go to the airport and if you're going to fly on an airplane, that's the, the trade-off that you have to be willing to accept. We were talking about this before the show a little bit, you know, everybody has a choice. It's not like that any of this is a surprise really anymore. There is just no way to socially distance in an airplane. There's none uh, on an airliner, the size of planes that you guys fly. And even for me, who's, who's flying a rather sizable corporate jet, we still cannot socially distance in the back. Now, most, most of the time, we obviously have people that hang around each other all the time, but you cannot socially distance. It's, it's impossible. And whenever you're going to buy a ticket on an, on an airline, whether that's the middle seat, an aisle seat, first class seat, you still will not socially distance at all. And I think that it's extremely unfair and foolish to think otherwise. I mean, in the end, we've, you know, the taxpayers have given billions of dollars to the airlines in order to, to help them stay in business. Well, let's save more of my taxpayer dollars and let them make money because you as the passengers know what you're getting into. It, whether you're, unless you're going to, to block off multiple rows of seats you can't socially distance and there is not anyone in the world that's going to be able to that's going to do that and be able to pull a profit unless you want to be paying 10 times more for us for a ticket and if that's the case you're probably better off to go go and buy your own airplane and hiring somebody to fly it for you it's just it's it seems extremely foolish to me that this is even a topic of conversation it, it costs a whole lot of money to make an airplane fly no matter what size whether it's a Cessna 152 or a Boeing 777, they cost an enormous amount of money, and we can't not put people in them. It's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, unless you buy the middle seat along with the aisle seat, and you decide to, you know, put your butt in one of those. I mean, I, I which is I, fine. You're, you're still not socially distancing, though. No. If that's really your argument, you've just lost your own argument right there, too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you don't have to fly. I mean, if you have to fly. There are alternatives to flying on an airline. You don't have to, you know, submit yourself to, you know, going to Walmart to go shopping. You can go to a smaller store, but people still do. People were waiting outside in line to go to Home Depot. Why? You know, because, oh, well, I have at home. Might as well work on the house. Okay. 
that's fine. If you choose to do that, then you choose to go to Home Depot and wait in line and be in a crowded store. And, and, and you know, you might have to wait 30 minutes just to get in the door, you know, in line. Now, you choose to fly. And if you know that flights are full because more and more people are taking advantage of the prices and the situation, and some people just have to get from point A to point B for work, for business, for family, for whatever reason, there's an inherent risk. It's possible that your flight's going to cancel due to weather. That is an inherent risk you chose when you booked a flight on a summer afternoon going into a hot location like Phoenix. Yeah, they have thunderstorms. Guess what? You're going to, you're going to fly in the summertime going into Dallas at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Guess what? You're probably going to be delayed due to weather. So you have to account for that. And when it happens, you can't be pissed off at the company for, well, you know, I missed my connection because of you. No, you missed your connection because there's a big thunderstorm over here that is a killer that had grounded all the flights for over an hour and a half. And that's why you missed your connection. So this is really no different. You, you make a choice, a valid choice, whether or not you're going to book a flight and go on your, your cheap holiday vacation right now, because that's really the bulk of who's flying people that are going on vacation. The, the business travelers are not flying. They're on Zoom calls like we are right now. <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, it, it's kind of perturbed. And I just want to uh, touch a little bit on what this article, and this article is from Simply Flying, an article written by Jay Singh, uh, July 5th. It's a quick read, and I'll put the link to the article in the show notes here. Uh, but here, the United States Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon expressed some outrage when he flew with American Airlines. His flight was quite full, and many middle seats had been taken up, which uh, to him uh, was just obnoxious and ludicrous. So he took a picture of himself, a selfie, and he posted it in, on Twitter, uh, and he did so and announced that he would be looking into banning the sale of middle seats throughout the pandemic. So July 2nd was when this happened. Uh, Senator Murky posted a scathing tweet that was critical of Americans' lack of social distancing on board the flight. And he wrote that uh, American Air, uh, how many Americans will die because you fill middle seats with your customers shoulder to shoulder, hour after hour. This is incredibly irresponsible. People eat and drink on planes and must take off masks to do so. No way you aren't facilitating the spread of COVID infections. He also followed up the tweet on the following day on the 3rd and say a lot of folks reacted to my tweet yesterday about irresponsible sale of middle seats on planes saying wouldn't it be nice if someone in the senate did something about it they're right i will introduce a bill to ban the sale of middle seats through this pandemic and i will work with colleagues to introduce it in a package of airline accountability reforms that they are crafting so his concern you know it, it, it comes on the heels of uh, Anthony Fauci and Robert Redfield's uh, concern over Americans' announcement that it would be filling aircraft seats to capacity. Uh, he chose to fly, and he was on a full flight. And I saw the photo. I saw the tweet. Uh, there are some middle seats open, so it wasn't at 100% capacity. Uh, they probably had about 10 middle seats open throughout the flight, so it was probably 
you know, I don't know the exact numbers, but it, from the photo, it looked like it was about 90% full. And you know, this sparks a pretty interesting debate. Well, the company is here to make money, and they provide a service for money to get people where they need to go to the best of their ability. And this is going to absolutely create a debate that could be very economically challenging for not only the airline, but if this is what we're going to be spending taxpayer dollars on to figure out if a private company can ban their part of their service, this is ridiculous. And, and it, it really is, you know, and that's not to say that you know, the, the experts' concerns are not real, because they are. There is, there is a real concern about the spread of infection on an airplane. But that concern is real whether you're going to sell a middle seat or not. Because unless you're going to spend $7,500 on a ticket to have your entire row and the three rows behind, and I guess you probably need to spend another $7,500 for, for the three rows in front of you for a $15,000 ticket, and no, no one's going to do that. I mean... I can fly you on just about any corporate jet for less than $15,000 an hour. It's just, you know, it's a, it's, it seems like a big publicity thing to me because it's just unrealistic. While the concerns are real, whether those middle seats are, are occupied or not is not going to change yeah. that dynamic. And it's funny you mentioned that because uh, later in the article, and this is uh, the last that I'll, I'll kind of dive into this, but uh, the blocked middle seat does not get even close to six feet of physical separation, as Roger, you mentioned earlier, uh, that health professionals are recommending. What it does do, however, is reinforce a brand image. Delta, JetBlue, and Southwest are looking to make flying comfortable for people who are concerned about the pandemic, even if it does lead to some revenue losses. Undoubtedly, one of the goals these airlines have is to build up additional brand loyalty by showing its passengers that they did care during the pandemic, even if the six feet of distance was not maintained. American and United, on the other hand, have gone more after revenue. Kirby at United, known for his intense focus on revenue, naturally would be someone to balk at the idea of not selling all the seats on board an airplane. American, meanwhile, has tried to score passengers by competing with low-cost carriers on price. So, you know... It just goes to show you that even if you block every single middle seat on every single flight, you're not going to maintain the minimum distance that the experts have said is going to provide the appropriate amount of social distancing. So is it just really posturing at this point to have less than full capacity? I mean, I think we're at a point where you just have to make a conscious choice if you're going to fly on air travel. In this current situation, until a vaccine that's viable is out there and people, enough people have taken it, which could take over a year to get everybody to get vaccinated, if that's what they decide to do. If it's even a viable option at this point, we don't even know. So if you're going to fly, whether you're on a 100% capacity or 85% capacity or 65% capacity, you're still putting yourself at a calculable risk. And remember that you have an option and the choice on, on the carriers that are advertising and being fully transparent about what their policy is as well. 
it's not that I, you know, I, I think that it's great that, that Southwest and some of these other airplanes are leaving those middle seats open to create some of that brand loyalty or to make it more comfortable for their passengers, you know, more, you know, more power to them. That's great. But I also don't fault the airline, the airlines like United or American that are also going to going to sell all the seats. Everyone's very upfront with this is what we're going to do. And you have the choice on whether you want to go with the comfort and whether you want to have some kind of brand loyalty or whether you want to take the cheapest ticket or the fastest flight or whatever it's going to be. Because in the end, you're not going to have six feet of distance no matter what you do on an airplane on any airplane going anywhere, unless you happen to fly at, at the bottom. You know, I, I did fly on an airplane that I could socially distance many times over, but ever since the low on around April 14th, it's been a steady uptick. And that's just not the way that, that it is. It's not the way no. it is anymore. You know, and is this going to be leading to the airline apocalypse? Is this going to be the end of airlines as financial giants in our economy? Well, I also found an article uh, from skift.com, which I'll post a link in the show notes. And it was interesting. And instead of reading the article, I'm just going to uh, read a little bit of the highlights because I thought it was interesting to find out. I didn't even know this was happening until I received an email from our pilot union indicating some of what is being discussed here. Uh, so in an article that was dated July 6th from uh, author Madhu Unikrishnan uh, from skift.com, uh, that is entitled, The Coming Apocalypse for U.S. Airline Labor. Airlines may be adding back flights and reopening routes, but major U.S. carriers say that their revenues are about one quarter what they had planned for the summer. And it could take two or three years for demand to recover to pre-COVID levels, particularly for long-haul international flights. In the meantime, the industry has no choice but to shrink. You know, this is the pilot's worst nightmare uh, of shrinking demand, uh, especially coming on the heels of when, if you had a pulse and a license, you were golden. You're going to have a long career. And then this happened. You know, but are pilot career fields immune to this shrinkage? That's what she said. The coalition of unions is now calling on Congress to extend the CARES Act payroll support through March of 2021, warning that mass layoffs will occur in October without the additional funding. The Allied Pilots Association, representing Americans' pilots, is going further, proposing that the government support airlines by buying seats and leaving them empty to ensure social distancing. It remains unclear if Congress or the Trump administration have the political will or appetite now for further stimulus programs. Although the trajectory of the pandemic and the ensuing economic disruption will impact their calculus. Given that further government aid remains uncertain, bankruptcy isn't an option, and lucrative foreign employment for pilots is no longer an escape value Unions have had to be creative in their negotiations with management. Most unions and airlines contacted for the story declined to provide the finer details of the packages that they're currently negotiating, citing ongoing talks. Now, after 9-11, a lot of pilots escaped overseas. They found jobs overseas while they were on furlough. If we have a giant furlough, and have what the projections currently are of 
up to 5,000, if not more, pilots on the street overnight come October when the current CARES Act expires, this is a possibility. But there is nowhere to run because this is a global pandemic and these pilots, if they're on the street and without a job, it's going to be extremely difficult to find another flying job. Uh, and this is what we're trying to avoid here. And the fact that there are pilot unions out there that are proposing that the government, if they want social distancing, well, then you can buy the middle seats from us. I mean, this is ludicrous. This is so expensive and, and so outlandish. And I think that's the point is, hey, if, if you want us to be maintaining middle open seats, then you can buy them. I agree. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. Rob is uh, abstaining from conversation <laughs> as to not incriminate his opinion. Uh, I, I'm like a ticking time bomb on this. I'm, I, 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 but I agree with everything every, uh, you said, Roger. And, and uh, yeah, it, it, I don't know, you can't be handcuffed like this forever. This is, you know, we've come, the evolution of a human has survived all these different diseases and, and things like that. And this is just another one that uh, we're going to get over, get by. And, you know, we're, we are social animals, you know, we, um, you know, you can't have a, a mask on, you know, your entire life, you know, the oxygen levels drop, heart rates go up, you know, I'm sure there's more damage going on you know, with the mask and without the mask, you know, that kind of thing. Although, you know, I still think it's good to have for some, some form of, um, you know, protection, um, for if, if it's, you know, if there's, if the disease is airborne, but, to, um, after, beside that, you know, you can't sit there and, you know, you can't sit there and live your life in fear your, your whole, the whole time. Cause that's, that's not good. You know what I mean? Not good for business, not good for humans yeah. in general. So if you're scared to fly, don't fly. You know, if you're scared of getting sick, don't come to the airport. Other than that, we're going to be flying from here to Hawaii. We're going to fly to here to Florida. If you want to go to Florida, you want to go to Hawaii, we're going. We have a seat for you. Buy a That's ticket. Right. Let's go. You know, and look at these epidemiologists. They're in the lab working with the viruses, and they've got these full-on hazmat suits that have completely sealed, you know, air circulating within them through this hose. And they're in this lab, and then they go through the decontamination before they can even remove the suit. And yet, wearing a paper mask or a homemade two or three layer t-shirt that you put with the rubber bands around your face. And, Come on. And have you noticed in the news how they went from talking about the deaths of the COVID stuff? Since there aren't there any more any deaths, deaths going on, they're only talking about, Oh, how many people are getting it now or they're getting tested and how many people have it. They don't talk right. about the deaths anymore. They're only talking about, this is how many more cases we have this today than yesterday. Yeah. Well, if you want to get woke yeah. when it comes to the reality of what we're dealing with, with with COVID, with the pandemic, with how municipalities and gover local governments are handling the situation, the fraud that's going on, I highly recommend 
listening to the No Agenda podcast with Adam Curry and John C. Dvorak. Uh, my amygdala is shrinking, man. I am woke. I listen to them. They have a podcast twice a week on Thursdays and Sundays and three hours each time. And they play clips from the news and from articles and videos, and they're exposing a lot. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I am not anti-government. I am very much a law-abiding U.S. citizen. Uh, I believe in working hard and, and you know, being respectful and having good character and being a good person uh, and being kind and all these things. But I also on top of all that, believe that we need to be critical thinkers in this country. We need to be, uh, we need to be woke, for a lack of a better term, uh, that we don't just buy everything that people are feeding us. Uh, breaking news, breaking news, breaking news. I mean, come on. You know, where, what's the source? Why? When you're a kid, what's the one thing, what's the one question that you know better than any other question? Why? I need you to clean your room. Why? Pick up your stuff. Why? Put your toys away. Why? Okay, but what happens when we get older? Breaking news. You know, we've had a surge in COVID, uh, a spike of COVID uh, in, in Florida. Why? Where are the numbers coming from? Why, why are you quoting those numbers? I mean, I was listening to this podcast, and they had audio footage recorded from a local municipality in Texas. And they were saying, okay, we have, a new, we have a new procedure. Anyone that tests positive for COVID, we're going to go back from the point they tested, and we're going to go back, and we're going to figure out 15 people that they've been in contact with for contact tracing. And those people are going to be COVID possible. So they, they, there's a possibility that they have COVID. And if you can label them as co potentially COVID patients, Guess what? They're now counted as a COVID patient. No testing being done. But why? Who's to benefit? Is it the local government gets funding? Yeah. Is the Pure hospitals getting funded? What's going is. on here? So we have to figure out what the heck's going on with all this stuff. Here we are on an on a aviation podcast watching our industry collapse, watching our careers being fatally injured because of something that's happening happening globally to us and i believe that there are not enough people in this world that are simply asking the question why and if we can start asking those questions and weeding out the bs responses the lies the fraud and all that other stuff by being critical to what is being fed to us maybe we can kind of get through this at least a little bit smarter well gentlemen it has been a pleasure uh, to be able to sit down and have this wonderful debate with you and these discussions on on what's going on with you know working uh, flying not flying being on the boat uh, long lines i mean it's awesome uh, to be able to sit down and chat with you guys and i want to just say thank you for for giving me the opportunity to talk to you about this Thanks for having me on again, Tony. This was awesome. Yeah, thanks, Tony. It's always a good time. Thanks for having us back again. Oh, and thank you. Uh, you know, we're having a wonderful time here producing this podcast, and we just want to say thank you to all of the listeners out there. 
for listening, for supporting us, for checking out the website, for giving us wonderful reviews on some of the podcast players that you're listening to this very podcast on. Please make sure you share uh, with your friends that you or people that you might think are be interested in listening to us knuckleheads talk about stuff. So with that said, thank you so much. Uh, have a great day. And until the next podcast, don't forget to check us out, share, like, subscribe, and check out the website too at www.aviatortony.com. That's Alpha, Victor, the number eight, Romeo Tango, Oscar, November, Yankee.com. Until next time, be safe and take care of each other. See you later, guys. See ya.